you keep us going. Thank you that you will keep my voice going. Thank you, Lord, that um, that you always undertake that uh, where we are really physically, I'm really physically weak and unable to do this, Lord God. You have proved faithful yet again. And uh, that's an amazing thing, Lord. I thank you, Father, for what um, you've shown us so far, what you'll show us in this session, and then going on into the rest of the day. I ask you, Lord God, to keep on at us, not to allow us to um, turn our heads away, to keep us focused so that we really do hear what you have to say and so that we understand We understand the fullness of the blessing that you have for us. And I ask, Father, that in that understanding, you will receive glory. In Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) We ended um, just before your cake at um, um, at the beginning. We ended where we are crying out to God for the life that only he can live through us. And um, the next step, of course, is to trust him for the future, for tomorrow. So to begin every, every moment, begin now and every moment and of every day and trust that God is with you. Um, tell him that you expect him to continue and that you know he will keep you every hour of the day. It's not that God needs reminding, of course. It's that as you tell him that you expect him to keep you, you are reinforcing the truth that he's already told you. Never will I leave you nor forsake you. My grace is sufficient for you. I will keep on with you. Nothing is impossible for me. Um, So you're just reminding yourself, actually, that this God will never leave, and that he will do all that he has said. And Joshua, um, Joshua chapter 1, would you like to read that, um, Alison? One, verses 1 through 5, please. Joshua 1, 1 through 5. Now it came about, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, (coughs) will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Thank you. (coughs) These are promises that God makes to Joshua just before he's going in to the promised land. Their promises he makes to us. Never will I fail you nor forsake you. Every place that the sole of your foot treads, I have given to you. Not We're taking the physical reality of what God said to Joshua and, and um, move it into the spiritual dimension in which we now live. And so every place, every spiritual place that the sole of my foot treads, God has given to me, already given to me. Um, um, only be strong and courageous he says in Romans 8 um, 28 
Uh, Romans 8:28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things then? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? You and I, as believers in the Lord Jesus, we live this side of the resurrection. These verses are for us. We know he took our sins. He took your sins, he took my sins, and he paid the price for them. And he has, in his resurrection, promised, promised and provided for victory in our Christian life. That's his promise. (coughs) When Christ rose from the dead, what happened to you? Don't tell me you weren't alive. Just pretend you were. No, no. You rose with him. How do you know that? Yeah, because in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 7, it says that. Could you read that, Alison? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 7. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing (coughs) riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus Uh, one more oh did I just say seven okay thank you Um, so do you believe that that you are raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So when I ask you or when I say that the way to live a Christian life is to live a surrendered life and to let Christ live that through you, what is your response to that? Can you do that? (coughs) How can you do it? How do you know you can do it? Yes, because his resurrection power is within you, but because you are already raised up with Christ. You are already raised up with Christ and seated with him in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and every name that is named. That, that's where you live. You live there. So when he said to Joshua, every place that the sole of your foot treads, I have given to you, you transpose that to Rome, um, Ephesians chapter 2, and you say, I know you have, Lord, because I'm already there. Spiritually, I'm with Jesus. So now, when you hear Jesus say, you must deny yourself and follow him, And when you read Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, whip over to Colossians. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, who here has been raised up with Christ? Everybody put your hand up. 
you have been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ uh, Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. What's happened to you? You have died. You have died. Uh, Paul says in Romans 6, I think, or Romans 5, for we were uh, crucified with him, buried with him, and raised up. In Galatians 2, he says, for I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. I died, and Christ lives in me. All that God is asking you to do is believe it. Believe it. In every page of the New Testament, you're told the same thing. You are enabled by his spirit to live the way he wants you to live. And the question that should immediately come up is, how? How? How will I do that? And what's the answer, which we've already seen? Christ must live it in you. He must live it in you. You are a dead man. Therefore, you need a living man to live in you. Who is the living man? Christ. He will live in you. That's why he came. He came. He lived a life of trust in God to show us how we could live. But that's not all, because if that was all, we'd still be lost. When he had done all that was necessary, what did he do? He went to heaven to give to you and to me the ability to live that life. (coughs) That life of trust, that life of surrender but maybe no one's ever really explained that to you or maybe you've never really fully understood what that life is like and how it becomes yours. Never realise that you have to actually allow Christ to live that life through you. He must take possession of you, which means you have to give over yourself to him. That's why he gave us his word. He gave us his word to, um, to show us how to do that. Imagine, imagine, if all we needed was to hear the gospel and believe, right, then receive his spirit, what was the need for the whole New Testament? If all you needed was to hear the truth about Jesus, he came, he died, he lived, he died, he paid my price, and now he's given me his spirit, Why did you need all the New Testament? What does the New Testament tell you? Yeah, how to live it. But what is the New Testament? I mean, more than, yes, yes, how to live it. What is the New Testament? Yeah, what is the Old Testament? What is the, the, both Testaments, What, what is the Bible? It's the Word of God, which is what? 
Yeah, God's covenants, God's promises. <coughs> the truth, yeah. Not the answer yet on the card. So. Life, yeah, yeah. Christ in written word. The Bible is Christ in written word. That's why we have to read the Bible, because you're reading Christ. Because well, as you read the Bible, you are reading Jesus. As, as you understand and lay hold of the truth of Scripture, you are laying hold of the truth of Jesus. And when you read, particularly the New Testament, you see the life of Christ lived out. And you hear him speak. This is how you do it. This is how you live my life, in the midst of mud and grime and mess and darkness. This is how you do it. Christ expects us to read and to imitate him, to pick up our cross daily and follow him. We often say we want to, but we don't succeed. Why is that, do you think? Yeah, yeah, we don't have to, we're not beating ourselves up anymore now, Maureen. We're going to move on a step from that. <coughs> you know, we, we pray for grace, we uh, study his character, we read the word, we see how he walked, and we determine to walk the same way, but we don't succeed. Why not? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's the same as I said earlier. Do you remember I said earlier that you try to cut off the sin from the top rather than going to the root? What we're, with this is that we don't have the victory in our Christian life because we want the things rather than the... We don't understand that the root has to be ours. Um, What's the root or the source of Christ's life? What was the root or the source of Christ's life? God. God was the root or the source of Christ's life. He received his life from God. Could, could you read John 6, 57, please? John 6, 57... As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. Thank you. Um, and John 3:35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. God, um, he, Jesus received his life from God the Father. Everything he had, he received from God. God was the source of his life, the power of his life. Everything about his life was God. And God has given us this life in, uh, through Christ, but it's not our own. It still belongs to him. It still belongs to God. I have the treasure of his life in an earthen vessel so that the glory will be his and not mine. You know that verse. 
And that life can only be maintained by God. I cannot maintain that life. See, if I'm not responsible, if I didn't have that life anyway, I can't maintain it. It was given to me by God and it will be maintained by God. So how can I go on then, knowing this? How can I... How can I... um, How can I understand and what must I do if I believe that God gave me this life, that he is the source of my life, and that that life can only be maintained by him? What what would be my next step? Yeah. (coughs) What are you going to say to him? You're going to say, Father, you gave me this life. You've got to keep it because I can't do it. You gave it to me. I didn't do anything to get it. And now, in order to live it, you will have to help me to live it. You will have to live it through, through me. I don't even fully understand what I've got. So I need you to show me what I've got, what this life is. Romans 6, chapter 11. I mean, Romans 6, verse 11. Romans 6, verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under under law but under grace. How did Jesus live? How are you going to do this? How are you going to do that in Romans 6? Yeah. Pray, yeah. The answer is you can't. You can't do that. You just cannot. You are physically incapable of doing that. Only God can do that through you. You can try and you can try and you can try and you can try and you will fail and you will fail and you will fail and you will fail. You'll find some sins that are really easy for you to have victory over. And then there's another whole raft of them that you don't want to tell anybody about because they're really tough for you to overcome. You cannot live the life of Christ. You cannot do it. Only Christ can live that life in you. Jesus couldn't live his life. He lived in total dependence on his father. Look at um, John chapter 5, verse 19. John 5:19. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the, um, the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. And John 14, verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me 
does his works. Jesus could not live the life he lived. It was the Father who lived through him. It was the Father who spoke through him. Well, what makes you think you can live a life that Jesus couldn't live? I mean, I know you're pretty super, but really. Why do you think you can do what Jesus couldn't do? He could not live that life. He needed God the Father to live it through him. And his promise to us is that he will now live that through us. He prayed. Whenever he did anything, he went off to pray. He prayed, he waited, he moved. He lived in complete dependence on God. Doing, speaking, thinking what he what the Father showed him. We have to follow Christ. So if we're following Christ, what must we do? Completely depend on him. Completely depend on him. I must pray and know that I can't walk before God for five minutes on my own. Say that again. <coughs> mm-hmm. mm. Yeah, so that's the whole point, isn't it? How can we get to the place where more often than not, we are doing it? How can we get to that place? And what I'm, try- what I'm saying, and maybe in a bit of a convoluted way, so is that we can't look at the thing itself. We have to look at the source. What's the root of our life? What's the source of your life? What's the basic foundation of your life? Is the basic foundation of your life, I am totally incapable of living the Christian life unless you live it through me. Or have you been brought up in your spiritual life with a bit of a mix of human life? God helps those who help themselves. You've got to give it your best shot. Put your best foot forward. Do what you can and what you can't do, God will fill up. See, that's what we do. Absolutely, Luz. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is the moment, it's the beginning of failure. Oh, yes, definitely. Yes, definitely. It doesn't. Yeah. I have to pray and know that I can't do it, but I must pray knowing that God will. That's the thing. Knowing that God will. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. You read that verse, Alison? 
Universe, yeah. What else? Who said me? It's you. It's you. He upholds you by the word of his power. He upholds you by the word of his power. He upholds me by the word of his power. And I can do nothing without him, but I trust his promise that he'll live through me. And as I do that... What do I, what am I doing? I'm following Christ. I'm following Christ. I'm imitating him. I'm surrendering to him. Because what I'm saying is I can't do it, but you uphold me by the word of your power. You have promised I look at Christ at his life and his death and there at the cross what do I see? What do I see at the cross of Christ? I mean, sorry, I know it's a broad question. But what do you see in terms of what we're talking about, just to make sure you've even been here for this last couple of sessions? What do you see at the cross of Christ? Exactly. You see a complete surrender to the will of God. You see complete surrender. There, his will submitted to God, his holding on to and only using his life as far as God wanted him to, and offering that life to the Father. Jesus possessed his life only to spend it for God. That's what it means to follow Christ. That's what it means to deny yourself and live for Christ. It means to hold every ounce of your life and use it only as far as God wants you to use it. He lived every moment for his father. Can you see your life in his life? Or can you see his life in your life? Can you hear him speak through you? Look at Luke 2:49. I'll just rattle through these verses because there's quite a few. Luke 2:49. Luke 2:49. And he said to them, "Why is it that you were looking for me?" Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Matthew 3:15. Matthew 3:15. But Jesus answering said to them, "Permit it at this time, for in this way it is for full, fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness." Then he permitted him. John 4:34. John 4:34. For he whom God has sent speaks the word of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. John 6, 38. 
for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Hebrews 10, verse 9. You want to follow Jesus? Read these verses. See what he did. Hebrews 10, verse 9, which is a symbol for the present time. Oh, sorry, wrong chapter. Hebrews 10, verse 9. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He establishes the first in order, uh, takes away the first in order to establish the second. Jesus saying, Behold, I have come to do your will. In Matthew 26, 39. Um, Matthew 26, 39. And he went a little way beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, (coughs) My father, If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. (coughs) Yet not as I will, but as you will. (coughs) Can you see in Jesus this life of total surrender, this understanding that his life was only to be spent in the Father's will, doing the Father's work? (coughs) You talked about balance, Angela, and I, I hear that word such a lot. And yes, we have lives that we have to live on the planet. You know, people work or they bring up children or they they do those things. But what I would say is everything you do, you do for God. And if you do it for any other reason, give it up. Because you're here for one purpose and that purpose is to reveal and manifest God. You are here to be an ambassador for Christ Jesus, to show the world what he is like. And what he is like is a man who followed his father, who submitted his will to his father, who only did what he saw his father doing and only said what he heard his father say. And I know, even as I say it, that sounds too radical. It sounds like, how can that be? How can we actually live that way? Surely God wants me to do this and do that. Well, no, he doesn't. What he wants you and I to do is to live for him to subjugate every other thing in our lives to his purpose. To say, if this doesn't glorify you, I won't do it. If this does not show my surrender to you, I won't have it. In your home, in your workplace, with your children, with your husband, with your wife, with your sisters and your brothers and your grandparents and whatever else, with every single person, what will you be in front of that person? Because God is calling you to be a representative of Christ. And Christ represented his Father by surrendering and submitting to his will for his life. What does God Christ want you to be like with your wife, husband. I mean, seriously, this detail, you know, not detail like he wants you to 
polish her shoes, but what, what, what does he want you to be like? Yeah, what does that mean? But what does that mean? Yeah, but what does that mean in, in detail? How are you to be? Loving. What does that mean? Christ wants you to give yourself up for your husband, wife, mother, father, sister, brother. He wants you to give yourself up. Yeah, but love's a big word, Jenny. What does it mean? We bandy it about all over the place. I want to know what it means. <coughs> yeah. Hmm? Give yourself up. Give yourself up. Yeah. That's what Jesus did. He gave himself up. Now, I know you hear that and you think, really? Does she know my wife? Does she know my husband? I'm not sure I can do that. Well, I'm not talking about, I'm actually, everything's holy if you're doing it for the Lord. But no, I'm not talking, I'm talking about the real nitty gritty. But I want to even take it further, Lois, because, um, you know, I could probably make a nice cup of coffee for my husband. <laughs> but it would be quite difficult for me to, um, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example, um, to... I can't even, I can't, it'll come to me in a minute, a, a good example. I'm talking about the, um, will you take offence? Will you decide, I'm just not going to take offence? Will you decide, you know, actually, I don't have to be right? I don't have to be right all the time. I am right, but I don't have to be right. Seriously, no, even when I am right. I don't have to have him say you're right and I'm wrong. I don't have to have him say he's sorry. But this is what I'm talking about, Chris. This is what I'm talking about. I don't have to have that because that doesn't matter. What matters is my life is surrendered to the will of the Father, to God. And therefore, nothing is too difficult. Nothing is too much. I won't get bitter about something that he does or does not do. I'll decide that's not important. Because the only thing that is important is that he sees Christ in me. 
that he sees the God who loves him beyond his imagination. because that's, that's where we are, Lewis. That's what happens. I'm talking about representing Jesus, representing Christ. Do you really think that Christ would... Do you think you're showing who Christ is by allowing your husband to physically, sexually, uh, emotionally abuse you day after day after day? What are you allowing your husband to do, actually? You're allowing him to go further from Christ. What's the purpose of your life to be surrendered for the Lord? Is that, that that person comes to know Jesus. If you allow any sort of thing to continue that takes that person further from God, actually, you are working against God. So, but we can't deal with the extremes. You know, that's what, that's what people always, they come up with the extremes. Let's deal with the, the middle the middle ground. What, what is it? What's your problem? What's your problem? What do you struggle with in your home? What's really so difficult for you? And if you just knew how they were, you would so be on my side. God can't possibly allow this to carry on another moment because it's so wrong. What is it that you can't do That's what I'm trying to get us to do, is to look at and see your life, in some ways, Angela, is not a balance. It's not a balance. It's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. I understand what you meant. I know. (coughs) I know, I know, I know. Yes. Yes, I know. Yeah, yeah, we were. We were. Yeah, we were. Sorry, Angela, you're right. We were. Um, (coughs) But the thing is, when I'm saying these t- things to you, what do you what what do you know is true about yourself? You can't live like that. Who can live like that? Who can be used up for somebody else? Who can never be offended and never get bitter and never get upset and never do this? No one. We can't do that. So what must we do? Die, but we have to ask Christ to do that for us, to do that for us, to show us the way. Um, First Peter chapter one, I think it might be one of my favourite chapters in the whole Bible. Although that's a big statement, so maybe not. But um, First Peter chapter one, verse three to eight. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead 
to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. (coughs) Are you being distressed by various trials? How do you view those trials? Are you being distressed by various trials? And I suppose most people would say, well, not quite at the moment, but if you'd seen me last month, or, you know, or yes, I am. How do you view those trials? What do you understand about them? What are they, according to Peter? What does he say? He says that that is part of the proving of your faith, which is being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire. What will be the result? you may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, if you hold on to your faith through a difficult time, then people around you cannot explain it. And they are impacted in a way that would be impossible any other way. I know that there are people in this room who have actual testimony of that from recent times. When he, when you are pressed and shaken, what starts to overflow from you is the life of Christ. The life of Christ. Without the pressing and the shaking, the life of Christ is not able to overflow from you. You must allow it, and the way you allow it is to surrender to Christ, to ask him to live his life through you, because you can't do it. Humanly, it's impossible to want to be pressed and shaken. So you have to come to him and trust him and, and, and know that he will bless you in it. What will be the result of the pressing and the shaking and the overflowing? Joy, 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 joy is the result. Joy is the result. An eternal weight of glory is the result. (coughs) First Corinthians chapter two, verse nine, Paul says, I has not seen 
nor ear and ear has not heard that which uh, has entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who loved him. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 to 18. Paul lived with a deepening sense of his own unworthiness. He grew in his understanding of his own weakness and his own unworthiness. Um, could you read that, um, Alison? Verse 7 to 18, please. <coughs> but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying out in the body of the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Thank you. What's Paul saying here? I mean, don't just read the verses again, but what's he saying? Anybody out there? Yeah. <coughs> what's he saying? Yes, 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 that's true. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, 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 God's way is not our way, but um, he's talking about this earthen vessel, and he's talking about his own weakness, and the fact of his increasing weakness, and what he's saying is, if my weakness doesn't increase, God's strength is not shown. If my <coughs> my unworthiness doesn't increase, then God's glory isn't shown so well. So he's embracing that, actually. He's embracing his own weakness and his own unworthiness. Um, and he knew, too, that without God, the trials he was going through would have broken him. But they didn't break him. Why not? Because God, because God was holding him. How, and, and what did he know? God was holding him and... Yeah. And God would continue to hold him. He would continue to enable Paul to do this. Paul um, talked in 1 Corinthians, he said that the content of his message was Christ crucified. But in this 
letter in 2 Corinthians, he talks about, he keeps on about his own human weakness. Why? Yeah, yeah. Look at um, 2 Corinthians, uh, Corinthians 12, verse 9 and 10. 2 Corinthians 12. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He carried about in his body the death of Jesus. That is, he suffered for Jesus. He suffered intensely in his own physical body and emotionally. He suffered for Jesus. He went through beatings and stonings and persecution and shipwreck for Jesus. He was always being given over to death, he says in this letter. Constantly giving over, being faced with death. But because of that, the life of Jesus was shown more clearly and more powerfully in his body. And he believed, he knew that his sufferings were a means by which Christ would minister to other people. Can you imagine being in the place where you could say, I don't mind how much this suffering will continue as long as people are ministered to by it and through it? Can you ever imagine getting to that place Mm. Mm. What, you mean they're suffering? Yeah. But Paul's talking about boasting about that, being, you know, wanting that, saying that he'll do that. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yes, yes. So what enabled Paul to do it? Grace of God and... Christ's life in him and surrendering and trusting and because Paul kept his eyes on the things unseen, on the uh, eternal and not the temporal. <coughs> yeah. <coughs> Yes. 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 All um all of his suffering he understood in terms of what God wanted for his life. And and he was able to deal with that by keeping his eyes on the eternal and not the temporal. Um, 
the going back to the pressing and the shaking and the overflowing, he understood that it was necessary to be pressed and shaken. And that part of your blessing with the Lord is that he does that. <coughs> now, seriously, this afternoon after lunch, you know, it's going to be uh, there's going to be some time to just um, really go through some things and ask yourself the question: um, Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? That that the pressing, the pressing down, and the shaking is part of the blessing. Because we say, you know, we nod and we say we do. And when you're being pressed down and shaken and it's hard and all of your humanness is screaming to get out of that place, are you able to look up and see the eternal and not the temporal? And if you're not, what will you do? Ask God, ask God to do it. Ask God to make you willing to believe that to die with Christ is the only way to live in him. It's the only way to have the power of a victorious life. I'm sure I've gone through lots of different pages of my notes and not talked about them, but I feel like we've reached the end this morning, so um, I'm going to stop there. Huge sighs all around the room, I can hear. Um, so we have lunch, and then we're coming back about 2 o'clock, I think. Um, I can't remember, is it 2 on the schedule? <coughs> Two thirty is the next session, so I'll see you at two thirty. Um, Father, thank you that um, you are a great God and that you do wondrous, mighty things. Lord, we—I'm not in this place. I'm not there, Lord. I know it. I know that I'm not fully surrendered, but I know too that that's a process. It's a process, Lord, and I trust you to take me there. And I pray that you would strengthen me, strengthen us, enable us to trust in the fact that you will never fail us, that you will enable us to do all these things that you are calling us to do. I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand we really do have a purpose. There really is a plan for our life, and it's glorious, and that you will bring it to pass, and that as fast as we decide to put our foot on this road of surrender, you will be there every moment, enabling us to continue, giving us the joy and the peace and the great blessing of the abundant life that you promise. I've, I ask you, Father, to bless our conversations as we have lunch, to um, help us to continue to think about you and not to go off about all sorts of other things. Help us, Lord God, to keep our minds fixed on you. For your glory. Amen.